theyeshiva.net. We're going to start by Ezer Hashem on Maimer today. The remainder of the Maimer of yesterday is basically footnotes of the Tzamach Tzedek, so that's why I'm continuing now to a new Maimer. We basically finished the... Thank you. So there was a whole other piece left yesterday, but that's mostly footnotes and additions of the Tzamach Tzedek. That's why we're continuing to a new Maimer. Okay. Let me tell you about this Maimer as an introduction. If you'll turn to page Dalad, page Dalad, I want to thank Reb Moshe for the beautiful uh, copies that he made. Thank you very much. You see, it's on top it says on page Dalad, Beis Samach Dalad, which is made of Hillel, V'nichay ala michtov, haradaz neshmasayedin. This is a mimer of Chabad Chassidus that was said by a man named Reb Hillel Parich. Reb Hillel of Parich. Reb Hillel of Parich was a very well-known uh, Rav, great, great Talmud Chacham, a great Gon in Russia, in the Ukraine. He was the Av Bezdin of a very well-known community, a city called Babroysk. Babrysk, it's in the Ukraine, right? And he himself lived nearby in a city called Parich, Parich in the Ukraine. That's why he's called Reb Hillel Paricher. Parich is a city in the Ukraine. At the when he was thirteen, he was already known as a he had a brilliant, brilliant mind. He was already a bucky in Shas. He knew Shas and Poiskim. He was a chassid of. Uh, Reb Matala Chernobyler, known as the Chernobyl Magid, who was a son of Reb Nachum of Chernobyl, one of the students of the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid, and he had a son, Reb Mordechai, Reb Matala Chernobyler. Twersky was the last name, and he was a Talmud, a student and a Chassid of his. He once heard a Chassid of the Balatanya, Reb Zalman Zezmer, say over a Maimer from the Balatanya. It was in the life of the Balatanya. And it took him so much, it grasped him so much, that he became a... He went to the Alter Rebbe. But the thing is that he never saw him. He went from place to place. He never saw him. But he once heard something from him. But he... <laughs> he fainted, so he never saw him. And later he became very connected to his son, the Mittler Rebbe, and to his son-in-law, the Tzamach Tzedek. And in Chabad, the Chabad world, he's considered one of the great uh, disciples, one of the great chassidim. There's quite a few svarim of his, Pela Harimain, a set, some other writings. This is a mimer that he said, connected to this time of the year, the whole period, from Shavuos till Simchas Torah, focusing particularly on the three weeks, between Shavuos and Tishabov, and Tisha B'av, and then the subsequent seven weeks, known as Shiva de Nechemta from Tisha B'av through the Yamim Toivim, as you will see. That's why it says, Maimim Reb Hillel, Reb Hillel of Parich, he said it, One of the Talmidim of Reb Hillel was a Jew named Reish Dalad Zion, is Reb Doiv Ze'ev. His last name was Kozevnikov. Reb Doiv Ze'ev Kozevnikov, and he was 
Tav Bezdin of a very large community in the Ukraine known as Yekaterinoslav. Yekaterinoslav uh, was a big city in the Ukraine and uh, a very central city. And the Rebbe of Yekaterinoslav was this Jew, the Bdoiv Zeev Kozevnikov, who was a chassid himself of the Tzemach Tzedek, and afterwards as well. And he learned for a long time by Reb Hillel. So he wrote down this discourse. Yekaterinoslav, by the way, when Reb Doiv Zev passed away, so his successor was the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father. Reb Levi Yitzchak Shneiusin succeeded Reb Doiv Zev as the Rebbe Yekaterinoslav. After the Bolshevik Revolution, they canceled all the names that commemorate any czars because the Bolsheviks tried to delete uh, ancient Russian history. And the czars, of course, were the great opposition to communism and socialism. So Yekaterinoslav became the Dnepr Petrovsk. All the names, like Petersburg was named for Peter the Great, became Leningrad. Yekaterinoslav became the Dnepr Petrovsk. Petersburg, they changed back. Uh, I think in 91, they went back from Leningrad to Petersburg, representing the death of communism. Uh, this never went back, because that's like a central city. This remained in Petrovsk, but that's when they changed it, because Yekaterinoslav is Yakterina, was named for Catherine, I think, Catherine the Great. So uh, they changed the name, just uh, a little history. So the person who wrote this was the Rav of Yekaterinoslav, who was a Talmud of Reb Hillel, and one of the Chassidim of the Tzamech Tzedek, and the Maharash, and the Rasha. Reb Hillel passed away, Yid Aleph of Tofresh Chav Dalad. The 11th of Av, Tovar of Dalad would be uh, 1864, during the days of the Tzamech, the, year, the time of the Tzamech Tzedek. So he starts off as follows. Isib Psikta. It says in Psikta, Huve betur erechayim simen tovchavchas. Psikta is a famous medrash on various parshiyas of Torah and Haftoris. It's a source that's brought a lot in halacha. And the tour, the Balaturim, in Erechayim, in Simen Tavchav Ches, where he discusses the parishes and the Haftaris, quotes it. It says as follows. Mi chuli. From Bereshis, it's chuli, I'll just t- say the whole thing. From Bereshis, till Shavasa Betamos, he says, the Haftarida every week is connected to the theme of the parsha. Haftarida me'inyin ha-parsha is doyme bedoyme. Every week from Bereshis, the Haftarida usually explores the same theme like the parsha. It says, Misham ve'elech, from Shivasa Batamuz and on, till the rest of the year, it changes. Lafia inyin or lafia ma'ura. The parsha, the Haftarida is connected to the inyin, to the theme, and to the ma'ura, to the events of the time. Maftirin tlasa de puranusa. So the psikta says, quoted in the Torah, that from Shivasa Batamuz every Shabbos, Till Tishabov, the Haftarah is called one of Tlasa the Puranasa. Tlasa means three. The Puranasa is the three of punishment or chastisement, which means the three Haftarahs that prophesize the destruction. The first Haftarah of the three weeks is going to be this week, is the Haftarah of, uh, of uh, Yermia. Uh, what's the Haftarah? Um, anybody knows the Haftarahs? Huh? Huh? The beginning of the Sefer Yermiyahu. And then you have the last one before Tisha B'Av is Eicha. It's from Yeshayahu, Chazon Yeshayahu ben Amitz, the vision of Yeshayahu, where he says, Eicha, Isa, Lezayna, 
In the middle you have Shimu Dvar Hashem. Those are called Tlosa the Peronius, the three chapters of the Nevi'im that deal with the destruction. Then you have Shivad and Nechemta. Then you have seven Haftaris of consolation, of, of consolation, of comfort, of solace, Nechama. From after Tishab of the first one is Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Yemer, Alekechem. And so it continues for another seven weeks. So from Shivasa Batamas, the Haftaris change. Then you have Tartadit Yufta. Two Haftaris that deal with Tshuva. Rosh Hashanah, and after Yom Kippur, you have the two Haftaris that deal with Tshuva. Like you have Shuvah, Shabbos Tshuva, Shuvah Yisrael, Dishu, as the Torah goes through the Haftaris. Hainu, what he means is, Miyudzayim Betamas Ad Yom Kippur. This covers the period from Shivasa Betamas till Yom Kippur, where the Haftaris now take on the character of the time of the year. So you have the three weeks of mourning for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the seven weeks of comfort following it, and then the period of Tshuva. This is what the Psikta and the Tur say. Okay. The next few lines are going to be very Kabbalistic, and therefore mystical, and the Maimer is going to explain these terms, but he's just quoting what it says. Kabbalah was written in very cryptic, code language. Mavur besifra Kabbalah. Hatam. This is a halachin tur. This is the halachin. This is how we do it in Jewish communities. In Svarim of Kabbalah, the Arizal, is explained the, re- the underlying reason for this. Three weeks, seven weeks. So he says like this. Gimel de Purani is histalkus gimel moichin chachba binadas. The three weeks of Purani is the three weeks of the morning between Shivasa Batamas and Tishabov is three weeks. It represents the departure, the histalkus, the departure of the three faculties of moichin, the three faculties of awareness of cognition, chachma binadas. Zayin de Nechemta followed by seven weeks of comfort, of consolation, of nechama, his galus moichin da'atike b'zayin midis d'zeirampen. These are the weeks when something called moichin of atik, which is a higher level of moichin, a higher level of awareness, of mind awareness, called moichin of atik. Atik is associated with the core of keser, the pnimius of keser. That's revealed in the seven middens known as the Aramp in the small phase. That's what it's all seven weeks. Tartid the the two weeks of Tshuva, the after of Tshuva, which is from Rosh Hashanah on, because the seven weeks after Tisha of Kod till Rosh Hashanah. And then you have the Tartid Tiyufta. Hu Inyan Aliyah Samalchus represents the ascent of a state called Malchus, Aide Tshuva Love Etato. Through a higher tshuva and a lower tshuva, sha'olam ibri yitzirasiya, malchus through two, two states of tshuva, goes up from the three worlds bri yitzirasiya. Those are the two haftaris of tshuva. Then comes Yom Kippur. This is from Rishon Shana Yom Kippur. Acher kach matin teira shaluchis achreinas. On Yom Kippur, Moshe gave the Jewish people the second set of tablets. The first ones were broken on Shivasa Batamas. Right. He, received, he went up after Shavuos, after Matan Torah. Moshe goes up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes back with the luchos, with the tablets, and he smashes them as a result of the creation of the golden calf. He goes back up 
and he prays and he pleads for forgiveness and uh, Hashem forgives him. It's another 80 days. And on Yom Kippur, he comes down once again with the second luchas, the second tablets. That's why Yom Kippur is called Matan Torah of the second luchas. Matan Torah of the first luchas was Shavuos, Vav Sivan or Zayin Sivan. Matan Torah of the second luchas is Yom Kippur. That's why it's the day of forgiveness of atonement. It's called Matan Torah. It was a second Matan Torah. It was like the second, you know, let's try this again a second time. So he says, Hu Inyin, his galus moichinda tikil in Hashem is the bri it's the revelation of this state of Moichen of Atik to the Neshamas of Bri So I know the language is very confusing, but that's fine. Don't uh, get disappointed with yourself. It's, uh, it's, it's supposed to be that way. It's, it's very cryptic language. So. Uh, no, you're talking about that it was broken. You're it was broken. No, well, Matan Torah was the revelation of the Ten Commandments. The Luchas had the Aseris Adibris written. So it was given to the Jews, it was revealed to the Jews by Shmuas, Matan Torah. He brought it down from the heaven. And that was broken, and then he gives it again. I'm sorry? Oh, why is Moichin the Atik repeated? Good, good, but the answer is it's two separate things. Because the first time, the Hizgalos is in the seven middas of Zoh. The second time, it's L'Neshamas the Biyah. <laughs> it reaches the Neshamas the Bri Yitzir Asiya. So it's the same level, but reaching a much broader audience. Right. Right. It reaches even the Neshamas of Bri Yitzir Asiya. Zoh represents the middas the way they are in Atzillus. Yeah. So, 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 so what is he saying? The three weeks of Puranias, it says in Kabbalah, is the histalkus of Gimel Moichen Chabat. There's a certain departure, a certain histalkus, like passing away, so to speak, histalkus, departing from the three states of Chachma Bin Adas, awareness. The seven, and that's it's called Puranias. Puranias is a difficult time, a challenging time. It's, it's a challenging season. The way it's expressed also in Halacha, it's a, a time of diminished joy, a time of avelus, grief, etc. Culminating with a fast and starting with a fast, right? Three weeks are sandwiched between two fasts, Shavuot Batamas and Tishabov. Then you have seven weeks of Nechama. It represents a higher Moichen, Moichen of Atik, Moichen of Kasser, which is revealed to who? To the seven Midas, the way they are in Zoh, the way they are in Atzillus. That's the Shiva de Nechemta. You come now, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, this Malchus comes up from Bri Yitzir Malchus is lower than Zah. Zah is the seven, six middays from Chachmat, from Chesed through Yisoyed. Malchus goes down to Bri Yitzir It's the lowest. The two, two Shabbosim of Tshuva. Malchus comes up through Tshuva Tata and Tshuva Ilah. That's why there's two Haftaris of Tshuva. And then you have Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Hizgalos of the Moichen of Atik that was already revealed in the seven weeks to Zah, but now it's revealed to the Neshamas of Bri Yitzir Asiya. Good catch, Rabbi Yaakov. Good, uh, <laughs> good thinking. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, the word, the, the Darga is repeated, but it's to a whole different level. It's the Neshamas de Biyah. You see the difference? First time it's to Zah, the second time it's the Neshamas de Biyah. 
Then you have Shmini Yatzer Simchas Teira. Shehu is Galus Simcha V'tainug L'Nesham is the Bri Yitzirasiya. This is a revelation of joy and pleasure to the Neshamas of Bri Yitzirasiya. Kamay Shekasov, like we say in the davening of Yamtif, V'yismecho, V'cha, Kal Yisrael Mekach Yishmecha. They will rejoice in you, Lamata Kamay Lamay Lamamash, that the joy down here is mamish like the joy up there. V'yismechu, Becha, they will rejoice in you, that the souls down here will rejoice in you the way you rejoice up there. Kamayshi is buyer, as will all be explained. What the Kabbalah, what Darizal is trying to do here is to give the inner soulful or spiritual rhythm and energy of this time of the year. Kabbalah uses Kabbalistic language. You have to know how to decode it. Because when you just read it, okay, so Moichin leave and Atik comes back and it comes to Zan and Malchus goes up and this thing, now Moichin gets revealed in the as the Bia. Then there's a, then there's Matan Torah of Luchas Achroinus and then there's his Galus Asimcha. So this is the, this is the terminology that's used. But now it has to be decoded. So it's a commercial as will be explained. So he started off with the Psikta and the Tur. The way it's expressed in halacha, these weeks, the structure. He went to reference from Kabbalah, what is the meaning of this? In mystical, spiritual, metaphysical language, using Isis of Pnimi Yisatayr of Kabbalah. And now he's going to start the explanation of this, the terminology that's explained in Chassidus, especially in the teachings of the Balatanya of Chabad Chassidus, where these things are discussed at length. In order to understand this, going to give a long introduction about Golos and Geula, about how we understand exile and redemption. Ullahavan Seder Advarim to understand the whole Seder that's being expressed here. What's the order here? And every year the calendar reenacts this order, meaning there's an energy that evolves here. We have to first go back and understand something that seems completely disconnected, but really it's going to be the, the intro to this whole discussion. Masha Kasuv, when you go back to Chumash, you know, Chumash is there, Chumash, uh, I trouble you for one of the blue Chumashim. Thank you very much. Masha Kasuv, the Pasuk says, Vayoshev Moshe Adna, Moshe returned to Hashem, and he says, Lama Hare Oisa, why did you bring so much bad? Why did you afflict this nation? And from when I came to Pari to speak in your name, not only did it not help, he brought more evil, more suffering to this people, and you did not save your nation. At the end of Parsha Shmois, I'll, I'll give the background here. And... Uh, it's going to get the, uh, intricate a little bit. What happens? What happens in Shmois? The end of Parsha Shmois. Hashem, of course, appoints Moshe to be the leader and liberate the Jewish people from Egypt. He comes to Egypt and he speaks to the people and they believe him. And him and Aaron, Achabo, Moshe, Aaron, they come to uh, Parai and they say, let my people go. And Parai says, no, no, no. You remember? I will not let you go. Yeah. So the origin of that song, believe it or not, is in Parshish Shmois. So Parshish was written before the song. At least according to some opinions. 
what happens? The king of Mitzrayim, how does he respond to the plea of Moshe and Aaron that God said, let my people go? He says, you're disturbing everybody from work. And Pare then instructs his commanders that they should increase the burden, increase the work. Till that point, they used to give the Jewish people straw, and they had to develop it into bricks, because bricks were made from mud, earth, and water, and straw, and then baked in the sun or in a furnace, and they would prepare the bricks for construction. But now they had to go and collect all the straw themselves around Egypt, and the quota of the bricks remained the same. And he said, Make sure that the burden of work becomes heavier. They shouldn't have time to think about stupidity, lies, like this lie that they have to leave, and God told them to leave in that. And that's basically what happens. And the Jewish policemen are beaten because they... Uh, are not forcing the Jews to provide this quota. So they come screaming to Pare, And they say, what do you want? Why are you doing this? We don't have straw. You're telling us to make the same amount of bricks. We're being beaten. There's no way we can do this. It's too much. So what does Pare say? Nirpimatim nirpim. Nirpimatim nirpim means you're lazy. As the Targum says, batlaninatim. You know the term batlanim? The term Batlanum comes from Targum Unculus and Shmois. It comes from Parai, by the way. He's the first one to call Jews Batlanum. Just, it's good to know. Huh? And Nirpim, Atim Nirpim, the Targum Unculus says, Batlanin Atun Batlanin. You're Batlanin, basically you battle, you do nothing. You're lazy, good for nothing. That's what a battle, battle, you go bottle. Bottle means with nothing, like, <laughs> one type of bitle, I guess. And therefore you say, let's go slaughter the God. You have nothing better to do. So you decided there's a God and you have to go sacrifice to him and go worship him. That's basically the ideas, uh, sounds very much like the communist manifesto. The ideas of religion came because you don't have enough work. If you would work and produce, you wouldn't think about these ridiculous things. The police, the Jewish police see this. They meet Moshe and Aaron. And they tell Moshe and Aaron, God should judge you for what you did. You made us smell, if, if Ashtemes Rechenu, you made us stink, you made us smell in the eyes of Pari, now he's gonna kill us all. Because of you. You made it much worse. Vayashav Moshe Hashem. So for the first time, Moshe now goes back to the one who sent him. Hashem sent him, everything was beautiful. He's going to Pari, he made signs, he had wonders. Hashem showed him three miracles, with the stick and the water, and his own hand. And everything seemed wonderful, but now it only became worse. He goes back to Hashem, and he says to Hashem, Why did you bring so much ra, so much evil, so much suffering to this people? Why did you send me? And he says, and from when, may us bossy, from when I came to Parai, he made it worse for the people. Not only did it not become better, it made much worse. Now they have to... Work more, they're being tortured more, they're being beaten more. That's what Moshe tells Hashem. The conversation between Moshe and Hashem and Chumash, everything is meticulous. The conversation between Moshe and Hashem is two psukim. First pasuk, he says, Why did you bring so much suffering to this people? Why did you send me? Second pasuk, he says, From when I came to Parai, Hey, Ra'la he made it worse. He did not save your people. 
Hashem responds also in two psukim. The first pasuk is the end of Shmois, and the second is the beginning of Eira, which continues for much longer. Vayoyimra Hashem al is the end of Shmois. Atatira. Now you'll see. Now you'll see what I'm going to do to Para. Ultimately, he will send you away from his land with a strong arm. With a strong arm, he's going to send them out. And with a strong arm, he's going to expel them from their country. So what's Hashem's answer to Moshe? Now you'll see what I'm going to do. Now you'll see. That's his answer. Continues. He's really the same conversation. But he says again, Hashem spoke peace to Moshe. First he says, Now you'll see. A new Parsha starts. And he tells him, Ani Hashem, I'm God. And then goes a whole conversation. I appear to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov with a name called Shindalid Yud. I never let them know my name, Yudke Vovke. Shmi Hashem lo lehem. I made a covenant with them that I'm going to give them the land of Canaan. <coughs> I heard the cry of the Jewish people. I remember my covenant. Go tell the Jewish people. <coughs> I will save them. I will save them, I will take them out, I will save them, I will redeem them, I'll take them out, I'll take them out, I'll bring them to the land that I that I swore to them. <coughs> That's the end of the conversation. The continuation of the story is Moshe goes back and the Jews can't listen anymore because they're short of breath and they're working so hard they can't listen. And that's when Hashem sends Moshe again to to uh to Para. That's basically the structure that we're going to be addressing now. When you read it slowly, we're used to reading Chumash, as a, you know, you gloss over it. When you read it slowly and you realize that the text is very, very significant, every word, the structure, what is being said, many questions come to mind. But on the most basic level, I'm not talking even on a deeper level. Many of them he's going to address. That's what he says. Until the end of the conversation, that they're going to know that I'm God. When you look at Moshe's question, it seems to be redundant. Why? Who? <clears throat> what was Moshe bothered by? Moshe was bothered by the fact that as a result of speaking about Gula, the Gullahs became stronger. If he wouldn't have mentioned redemption, they would have suffered the way they suffered earlier. Now, the concept of Gula emerged. Hashem said it's going to happen. He went to Pari, he went to the Jews. What happens? The subjugation becomes stronger. That's what's bothering Kamesha Kosov. Like Yaakov, like Pari said, that heaven, we're not going to give any more straw to the Jewish people. Or Pari said, make sure the avoider, the work burden is heavier on the people. Vim Kane, if this is the Pshat in the question, Mausha Kosov Oid, Ume Oz Bossi, he already said it. Moshe comes to Hashem and he says, Why have you caused so much wrath to this people? Why did you send me? What's the question? Is he asking a general question on Golos? If he has a general question on Golos, he should have asked this question 80 years ago. 
Moshe was 80 years old when he came to Parai. The Pasuk says clearly he was 80 years old. The Golis has been continuing for a long time. When Moshe was born already, the Golis was in full strength. They wanted to, they wanted to throw him into the river. That's why his, his mother put him into the basket. So he's not asking about Golis Bechal. He's asking about this. What are you doing? You send me to speak about Geula, and it becomes much worse. That's what's bothering him. What's bothering him is the Golis that now was renewed and became stronger because of the mention of Gula. If so, there's a new Pasuk. Since I came to Pare, it became worse, and you didn't save your people. It would seem like a redundancy of the first thing. Either say one Pasuk or say another Pasuk. First he says, why are you doing so much bad to this people? He's talking about the bad that just happened. And why'd you send me? Basically, I'm the one who's responsible. And then starts on the second Pasuk as though it's a new thing. And from when I came to Pare, not only did it not become worse, not only not become better, it became much worse. And then you see that the answer also has a redundancy. First Hashem says, now you will see. What's the answer? Now you will see. Basically he said, why are you causing so much bad? So Hashem says, now you'll see what I'm going to do. That's number one. The next parsha starts. Hashem again speaks to Moshe. And he says, I appeared to the others. There's also a same answer on the same question. Like Rashi brings in the Medrash, that Hashem told Moshe, I promised things to the others, but I never authenticated it. Meaning I never fulfilled my promise. I told them I'm going to do it, but it never happened. Now I'm going to do it. In other words, it's the same answer. So you're answering two answers, two separate parshas, repeating again that he spoke to him on the same question that you already answered. So the question seems to be redundant, and the answer seems right to be redundant. Basically, what you're telling him is, don't worry, it's going to happen. You're telling me why, this is not, this doesn't make sense, and I'm telling you, it's going to happen. He said that right away, at the Sira. Now starts a whole new conversation where he's repeating the same thing and just much more elaborate. But the truth is the answers themselves don't make sense. Why? How are you answering the main question? Moshe says, why is it that now when redemption started to become part of the conversation that the Gullahs become worse? So you're telling him, it's going to be good. I didn't ask you if it's going to be good. You told me I'm going to redeem the people. I went, and what happened? It became worse. How are you answering that question? All Hashem is telling him is, what I promised I'm going to do. Now you're going to see. Now I'm going to see. But my question is something else. Why is it that once, from when I came into the scene, from when the Gu'ula started to be explored and discussed, from when there was a Hisairus, an arousal for Gu'ula, for redemption, the Gullahs becomes much more torturous. That, that question is not being answered. He said, from when I came to Pari, it became worse. So what is Hashem saying? Now you're going to see. Achine Yisab Medrash, the explanation is based on introduction. It says in the Medrash, Muvagambi Rashi Meinza. Rashi says something similar. Alpasig vayidabir elikim. Shumidas adin vachkechani avayi shumidas harachama. 
that the words that are used in Hashem's second answer are very unique. Moshe comes and complains, why is there Golos? So what happens at the end of Shmois? Vayoymer Hashem. Hashem says, you're going to see, at the tear, you'll see, Pari is going to expel them. Chayre is an answer. Now comes a new parsh. Vayedabri elikim el Moshe. Suddenly the name changes. Moment before he said, Vayoymer Hashem el Moshe. Now it's Vayedabri not Vayoyme Vayedab, Elikim El Moshe. Vayoyme Lavod, does he tell him? Two words, Ani Hashem. That right away must, must, uh, arouse and trigger every student. What is going on? Moshe says, why did the Gullahs become worse? Hashem says to him, you're going to see now redemption. A new parsh, Vayedab, Elikim El Moshe. It's not a new conversation even, it's a continuation. But there's a new break, Hashem speaks again, which itself you have to understand. For the middle of a conversation, you don't have to say, and he spoke. You already started, he spoke. And it says, not vayoyme vayidaber. And not Hashem, but elikim. Vayidaber elikim el moish. Vayoyme, I love, and he says to him, all what he says, so say what he says? No, I'm God. But a different name. Vayidaber elikim, and he says, ani Hashem. So the Medrash says on this, that, Vayedaber versus Vayoymer. Vayoymer is a more soft conversation. Vayedaber is more harsh. Tibur is kasha. It's more stern. Yutke Vavke represents a name of compassion, Racham. Elikim represents a name of judgment, Din. It says, Vayedaber Elikim al Moshe. Elikim spoke to Moshe. Midas Haddin. Vayoymer, and he told him, you don't know me. Ani Hashem. You don't know me. That's the answer. Then he says the other details. And Medrash should even say something more. That's not the discussion now. That Bikesh Midas Hadin The attribute of judgment wanted to hurt Moshe for coming to God and screaming like this at him. Why do you do this? You're messing everything up. You make promises. You don't do them. You make it worse. Midas Hadin wanted to, bl- wanted to punish Moshe. Vayidabri elikim el Moshe. Rashi also says, Dibri take koshes. Spoke to him sharply. Vayoyimayelam. And then he said, Ani Hashem. So the Medrash says, realizing that he was doing this because his heart was aching for his people. So everything changed. He said, Ani Hashem. The approach was compassion. Realizing that Moshe's screaming was coming from such a beautiful and holy place because his heart was aching for the children. For the children of Israel. But what do we see from here? We see from here that the introduction of the second conversation is, I want you to know that you're making a mistake. Elohim speaks to Moshe and says, you have to get to know. Ani, who am I? I'm Hashem, Yudke Vavke. What is the meaning of this? This is what it says in Medrash Rabbah, in Shmois, Parsha Shmois. The Medrash says something very interesting. Moshe told Hashem, Extraordinary Medrash. Moshe turns to Hashem and says, I took Sefer Bereshis. I took the whole book of Bereshis. I looked at it, I read it, and I saw that it's Midas Hadin. It's based on the attribute of judgment. That's what the Medrash says. What does it mean? 
The Gemara says in Shabbos Nunhei, Ein Yisurim, there's no Yisurim, no suffering, without sin, below Yavr. The Medrash says, Moshe turns to Hashem and says, there's something wrong. I look at Bereshus and I see quit per quo. I see a system. I see a rhythm. I see judgment as a result of iniquity. Kayan, Adamarishan eats from the tree. He's not supposed to eat. He and his wife eat from the tree. They listen to the snake. There's consequences. Kayan murders his brother Hevel. He's not supposed to murder his brother. There's consequences. The Derhamabel, they're completely corrupt. There's a flood. The Tower of Babel, another corruption. Consequences. Sdoim, completely narcissistic, destructive, immoral, corrupt. There's consequences. I see a hate, I see a sin, I see a punishment. The whole Bereshus works that way. There's actions and there's consequences. I see Midas Adin, I see there's, there's a system, there's justice, there's law, there's order. God, there's, God has his system, he's taking account, there's accountability, he takes account of human behavior and so forth. I come to Shmois, I come to Shmois, I open up Shmois, what happens? The Jews are enslaved, they're beaten, they're crushed, they're murdered, they're killed. Why? What? When? Where? There's no, there's no pretext to the story. They end up in Egypt. First they're successful, they're doing well. Suddenly, Pare comes, a new king, Leodas Yosef, and he right away begins destroying them. He says, this doesn't have a precedent in Bereshus. In Bereshus, there's no destruction without sin. The Gemara says, Ain Yisurim Belayavim. So the Medrash says, fascinating. He says, there's something wrong here. You're punishing and punishing and punishing. Weird. There's no head. There's no sin. And he explains. When was Ataka decided Jews should go into Golos in Egypt? The covenant with Avram Avinu. Hashem made a covenant with Avram Avinu when he told him to have the bris. Avram Avinu was 99. He made a covenant with him. And what was that covenant? He said that you should know, your nation, your children will become uh, foreigners, Gerim, they will have to relocate in a land that doesn't belong to them. Vavadim, they will enslave them. Vinuaisam, they will oppress them for hundreds of years, and then they will leave. That's when he said it. What's a Chris's bris? What's a Chris's bris? You make a bris with somebody. What does it mean? You hate them or you love them? <laughs> Why do you make a covenant with somebody? A covenant you make basically it's like an everlasting. A treaty of loyalty. That's what a Chris's bris means in Tanakh. Like David and Yonason made a Chris's bris. It's basically, you create a covenant, a bris. You bind, bind two people or two nations together, and it's like a pledge of loyalty and allegiance. Why do you do this? You could do this either for diplomatic political reasons, like Avimelech made a bris with Avram, or you could do it because of friendship. Love. I never want to depart from you. The Christus bris between Hashem and Avram Avinu is obviously in the context of absolute friendship and love. And that's when he said there's going to be Golos. That means it has nothing to do with sin. This wasn't Avram Avinu. This is before there's any children. There's no sin. There's no iniquity. 
in the time when he says, I want to make an everlasting covenant with you, he says there's going to be Golos. This is what Moshe is picking up on. I look at Bereshis, I see one type of story. I look at Shmois, I see a whole other story. If it would tell me the Jews were in Egypt, they became corrupt, <laughs> immoral, promiscuous, like the Mabel, like Zdoim. Okay, God said, I had enough, fine. <laughs> Is that what happens? That doesn't have a precedent in Tanakh. In Bereshis, there's a message. The message is, there's providence, there's a moral code, you're responsible to God. You're responsible for the Eitzadas, for the murder of your brother, for everything else that happens. In Shmois, there's nothing there of sin. And you take a see that Golos begins by Brisbane Absarim, which was a moment of love, not a moment of, of, of estrangement, of alienation. In a mo- the greatest moment of intimacy between Hashem and Avram, he says there's going to be exile. Al-Zahi Shivei HaKadosh Baruch so the Medrash says, what did Hashem answer? What did Hashem answer to this? Where is the sin? Hashem answered, At midas adin. You make no mistake. You think that this is midas adin. You think that this galus is my attribute of judgment. You want to know what for? Less inun elerachamim. You have to get to know what this is and get them to know me. This is compassion. That's the answer. Elakim spoke to Moshe, meaning when Moshe was speaking to God, who did he think he's speaking to? He's speaking to Elakim. From Moshe's perception, Hashem is a lekim. It's all judgment. Hashem says, let me introduce myself. Ani Hashem. I'm love. I'm compassion. You thought you're speaking. When you talk to me, you have a different perception of me. He tells him, I want to introduce myself. Ani Hashem. That's the answer. Moshe says it doesn't fit in with Bereshus. You're right, it doesn't fit in with Bereshus. You know why? This is not about din. It's not about punishment. It's about rachamim. Now here we have a very important thing. How does the Medrash know such a story? That Moshe said, I looked through Bereshus. When you read Medrash, everybody who grew up in, in, in yeshiva or this, or reads these svarim, knows the Medrash has all these stories in Chumash that doesn't say in Chumash. Is this just an oral tradition? The truth is that every medrash is really so something that people often don't understand. Probably one of the better metaphors for this is you ever heard somebody play piano and they're not uh, very uh, proficient in it, so they may get the notes right, right? But then you have somebody who doesn't only do the actual notes, but they do what we would call the harmony. And what does the harmony do? Without the basic song, the harmony is, if you just do the harmony, you're missing the song. But with the song itself, the actual ballad, the actual tune, the harmony fills in the gaps, and it gives it the full luster 
and flavor and beauty. Medrash to Chumash is harmony to a song. It basically looks for every gap and it fills it in. It, it, it gives the, the story its full picture. That's what it is. It's never, okay, there's an interesting story. Let me tell you another four stories that happen. Take this Medrash. Moshe said to Hashem, Shmoiz does not fit in with Bereshus. Fascinating discussion. Where did they get it from? Or to put it differently, you will say the Chazal had an oral tradition. But where is this oral tradition coming from? Like what? The Chumash says what happened. Why are you telling me a whole new story? The Medrash is not ever, never telling a new story. Never telling a new story. What the Medrash is doing is, it's bringing out the music, the full harmony of the story that's written, always. I'll just give an example so you'll see what I'm saying. There's a famous Medrash also in this story, Parsha Shmoiz, that everybody knows, that when the daughter of Parai came to get, came to bathe, so Vatishlach HaSamasa, she saw a basket, and she sent Amasa to take the basket. So you could say Amasa means her maid, but grammatically the way the word is written, the Chazal say, Amasa, Ama, the word Ama actually means, the reason on Ama is like a foot or a foot and a half or two feet, between a foot and a half and two, because Ama basically represents the size from the elbow all the way till the end of the finger. The middle finger extends the longest, right? So it goes all the way till, till the end of the finger. That's called an Ama. So she sent her hand. Why is it called Amasa, not Yada? So Chazal said, She couldn't reach the basket. So her hand, you know the story, right? Her hand extended many, many uh, cubits until it reached the basket. Remember, I was once learning this. Somebody said, why do the Chazal have to do this? What's wrong with the story? What are you? It's not a good enough story. The queen of Egypt, the daughter of Pare, comes and saves this little boy. And let's say your hand didn't extend 25 feet. What would have, the story can't be? They, they right away have to put in a Nayamaisa. What, what do you need this for? So somebody will say, huh? A Moifas, what do you need it for? Not enough Moifsim and Shmois. It's such a boring story. Gonna be enough miracles here. Enough miracles you have to explain and deal with and believe. Another miracle? What's wrong if she just came? And she sent somebody to take the basket or she went down. So yeah, there is a grammatical issue in the word. And the Chazal had an oral tradition. It's called Tarish Peh. But is this completely associated from the text? And it's just two separatists. That's a completely erroneous way of understanding it. The Medrash is actually telling you the story. Telling you the real story. It's one of the most important interpretations to this story. And I'll explain to you why, what it really means. When you say in English, this is beyond arm's reach. What does it mean beyond arm's reach? There's something physically beyond arm's reach. But beyond arm's reach means on many levels. This is not something I can reach. It's not something I can do. Huh? Mental state. state. So if now you ask a question, okay? If you ask a question. (coughs) Hitler, Yamach Shemoy, had a daughter. If he had a daughter. And this daughter saw a little Jewish boy that the Gestapo didn't pick up. And Hitler's daughter decided to save this little boy and bring her to which house? Bring him to which house? 
Not get him to Switzerland. Bring him into the Burghoff, to the house of the Führer who wants to destroy every Jew and raise him there. And then I'll have a Jewish mother nurse him who happens to be his mother. What would you tell the daughter of Pari if she comes to ask you? I found, I see this little kid floating. She knows he's Jewish. What would you tell her? She would come and consult you. And she would say to you, you think I could save this kid and bring him to the house? What would you tell her? This is not something you can do. Leave it alone. You're a nice person. But, you know, do, do your kindness in other, find, find other outlets for your kindness. This is not something that's feasible. This is not something within reach. <laughs> you have to be practical. Who you are, who your father, your father, he can kill you also. You never know this nut job. He's a murderer. He can kill you also. These people don't have loyalty always to their children. Besides everything else, you think this kid has hope? Forget about it. That's the real story here. The real story here is that Pari's daughter did something that was unfathomable. It was beyond reach. She understood that in life, you don't have to figure out how everything is going to happen. What you have to do is stretch out your arm. You don't have to always calculate how everything is going to unfold. You know why? In most cases, we don't know. But you have to do one thing. Stretch out your arm. Do what you can do. There's a kid drowning. You may not know what it's gonna, what's gonna happen. So you could leave him and just let him die. No, stretch out your arm. What happens, of course? The arm is stretched beyond reach. Things happen beyond her imagination. Very often in life that happens. You do what you can do. Stretch out your arm. But you say, my arm reaches here. I gotta get to there. Let God fill the gap. That's what the Medrash is saying. They're really telling you the story. They're giving you the harmony of the story. That They're not telling you the physical story. They're telling you the psychological story. What went through her mind? Was she crazy? In fact, Chazal also say that all the maids told her, don't do it. <laughs> I understand her. What would anybody tell her? What would anybody tell her? That's the language. That's the language of the Chachamim. You have to know the language. That's Mamish the language. No, it says Amos Harbe. The point is, the point is, this brings out the Misa, the whole story. And it's not a, it's not a small thing in the story. I'll prove it to you because Moshe grows up. Over there, the Lushan is not 50 Yamas. Where the Lushan is certain numbers, that's also very meticulous. That's also part of the story. The same thing happens with Moshe. Sometimes Chazal say, Guzma Baalma, like Arim Gdailus of Tzuris Bashamayim, Dibre Toyre Divre Havoi. Havoi means it's like more vain. It comes Ramemi Fanu, Rabbi Nachem of Panu, one of the great Mekabalim and Asarim Amars, and he says, when the Gemara says, Dibre Torah Lashon Havoi, Havoi is Hey Veiz Aleph Yud, is Halalu Baruchu Hashem. Havoi, Halalu Baruchu Hashem. Now even that's not so Havoi. 
Depends on which level, though. Depends on which level. So what do we have? What happens? I'll show you the story. Moshe himself grows up, okay, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Jew. What does he do? He kills the Egyptian. Now, I want to know if Moshe would have consulted a great expert in politics. What's the right thing to do? What would the guy tell him? Moshe, this is foolish. You're killing an Egyptian, yeah? It's like watching an SS in 1942 killing a Jew, yeah? You're Hitler's ear, you're Hitler's ear. He may, he may appoint you to succeed him. Vayigdal Moshe, what do Chazal say? You're one of his closest people. You see an SS killing a Jew, you kill the SS man, and then you have to run? Be quiet. Get your way into the palace more and more and more. One day at the Pagan, Paris going to Pagan. You know who's going to be the next guy? You, and you'll redeem them. Moshe, think, think, think long term. Are you going to kill now? You're going to save one day. How long is he going to survive? Another week, another month, another year. Come on. Right? That would have been logic. Amos, but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't do that. He killed the guy and what happens? He loses everything. He was growing up in the palace. In two years he may have become who knows what. In ten years he may have taken over the whole world. And now he's a fugitive in Midian. Everything is gone. Right? That's what you said. Nebuch. For 80 years you don't hear from the guy. <laughs> you see what Batya did for him, he did for that Jew. Same exact thing. What happened for him, he did to others. That was his name. What happens, of course, it changes history. He comes back and he comes back with a bang. All medrash is like that. When you understand this introduction, we'll be able to see how this medrash also is not stam, they decided, it's really a deeper reading into the story of understanding, when you look at Moshe's conversation with Hashem, and you read it well, you understand why the Medrash comes to this conclusion. We'll continue tomorrow. Ah? Yeah, Dershir Yishumas. Yeah. Dershir Yishumas. Yeah. Dershir Yishumas. So he used to say, so when you came home once after she says, where do you make all this stuff up? It's like Ishmael. He says, my father taught me how to read between the lines. Dershir Yishumas. Yeah, yeah. So why did Moshe have to use a shame on the forest to kill the Hitzkirchen? Well, the Medrash brings three opinions how he killed him. With a fist, or with a shovel, or with shame on the fetish. Right? Rashi brings one. But the Medrash brings three opinions. So according to the other two opinions, it was, it was, it was a miracle. According to one of the appearances, it was an extraordinary Easter. And you're saying that he, did, he, he left the hour of God's Right. Yeah. He stretched out his arm, and he let God do the rest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to mention to the Rosh that Galileo invented a navigational tool to put on his head like a football helmet and sat on the boat. And the problem was it was off by one degree. So one degree of across the journey, you ended up instead of California, you ended up in Mexico. So the same idea the Rosh was speaking about the NASA. You do one thing wrong and then... Very nice. I'll try to find the actual... If you can email me, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. 
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.